The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome along to episode 171 of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. It is Monday the 18th of June 2012. My name is Edwin Herman coming to you live from our studio here in Wellington and joining me over Skype is Alec Doughty. Welcome along, Al. Hi, how is everyone doing today? By everyone, I mean Ed. (laughs) Yeah, it's just you and me uh, this week. Oh look, I'm fantastic. I'm 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 good. I I had a had a great weekend, and it's the start of a week with some interesting stories. It's been a big week in news. Yes, indeed. In fact, right on that note, let's have a quick look at some of the stories ahead. Flame, it turns out, is linked to Stuxnet. The BBC is developing 3D radio, and we also look at some of the news from Apple. Uh, there are announcements there at WWDC. This and more, but let's start off with the what I think is the most exciting story. Uh, for the moment anyway, and that is the Flame Malware we talked about and Stuxnet, which was covered whenever that happened. Was it last year, I think it was? This um, right to you? Well, it, I think it was discovered last what? last year or, or actually 2010. Discovered no, 2000- it was discovered in 2010. Discovered in 2010. There you go. Time flies. Uh, obviously dates back you know, further, but discovered uh, in 2010. So those two apparently are linked in the sense that they believe they are created by the same organizations yes the same developers so similar coding conventions they they share a a common resource which uh, Caspersy is calling uh, resource 207 yeah tell us about it what is so what have they said about it well essentially I'm, I'm I'm not sure what what it actually does but there's a module which is actually used by both pieces of malware and that fact means they were developed in the same laboratory, essentially. So it's it's like a, a finger mark, if you like. Someone's yeah. fingerprint is is in these. In Very much these. so. Very much right. so. Not only is, is there proof that they're linked, but the security researchers have been going through decompiling the code to basically create raw assembly code again from the binaries. And... Um, They've been able to identify a couple of very, very sophisticated um, cryptographic techniques that were previously unknown, even in the the sort of academic community, um, MIT, etc. So the basic premise is that there's world-class mathematics going on behind the scenes in this research development and doing things that even professors of cryptography have um, are finding very sophisticated. So it's turning out that we've got some uh, like suspected NSA or, or, or some other secret government organization um, have a bunch of boffins in the bottom of their uh, basement just pumping out mathematics, new, new formulas. So I understand that the finger is being pointed at both the US and the uh, Israeli governments. Personally, I think it's looking more and more likely that 
a lot of the actual work was done by the US, but I suspect that the distribution of it may have been handled by Israel, potentially. Isn't it kind of at odds with what the sort of governments are doing with the whole cybersecurity thing? And here they are on the other side, I, I, or even oh, like no, play, dude, playing both this, sides? This just gives a bit of a background into understanding why the US is trying to push through some of their cybersecurity legislation through so so vigorously. It's because they know that they had this thing out there and if they didn't get some uh, legislation in place that they would be uh, open to, to counterattack. So obviously this is a political thing, right? Oh, it's a big-time political thing, absolutely. There's, there's nothing... Uh, else here is there it's just, yep. just purely political espionage yep yep there was no financial benefit achievable through these two specific examples uh, three if you count Dooku as well which is another sort of Stuxnet variant so yeah it's amazing and when we're able to actually look at the secret government files in 50 years it's going to make an absolutely fantastic movie the other day. I was just thinking this is a little bit like something out of this, out of a film. Oh, it's, it, it's almost mission impossible. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd love to know what the US, uh, the, well, in fact, US or Israeli reaction is in terms of what is the US government saying in response to this discovery by Kaspersky uh, in Russia. And they were, by the way, Andrew, what I also realized also is Kaspersky labs were actually contracted by the UN to look into this. So I'd love to know what the, the US response to this is and the Israeli response is. I don't, because I haven't heard anything official yet. Have you? Uh, not really, other than the fact that the US government came out a couple of weeks ago and said, well, all right, Stuxnet was us. You caught us. Did they actually come right out and say that? Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't admit at the time to, to Flamer. But now, by default, they've already admitted to one, so they're obviously responsible for the other. Interesting. A good five years ago, possibly even close to a decade ago, people were making predictions that in the future wars would be fought on the internet. And I kind of thought, well, surely not. I mean, how? Why? How does that work? Well, and, and now we, what we're seeing. From all reports, this program actually began during the Bush administration, Bush Jr. And um, they basically had two options or thought they only had two options, I should really say. The first one was bomb Iran because of the, their nuclear program. And the second one was to develop a virus that would attack the centrifuges within that was uh, processing the re, or refining the uranium and uh, set back their nuclear program that way. And they, they, they chose the non-lethal method. Now, that's still an act of war, is it not? Absolutely it is. Absolutely so that, that's it is. That's actually an attack it's a, it's on an Iran, act, isn't it? It's an act of war without loss of life. Correct. I, well, at least not direct loss of life, that's for sure. No. Whether you can 
draw the bow a little bit longer and and conclude that nuclear power for the country will now be delayed and X number of people are going to die as a result of that. I don't know. That might be a long bow to draw. I think that is a long bow to draw, considering that they do have gas and coal power plants that are providing the electricity that the country needs. It's just dirtier. This really puts the uh, the US in a very interesting position because it's effectively somewhat sabotaged, probably not completely, but uh, there, some level of sabotage has occurred on Iran on the part of the US. Absolutely. Interesting. And here, here's me reading many years ago that wars would be fought on the internet. And I thought, how does that work? And now I can see it. Yeah. As opposed to the uh, the Neil Stevenson snow crash kind of vision of wars on, on the internet, which is all actually like people dueling in cyberspace, oh, keyboard versus keyboard. <laughs> Have you ever read Snow Crash? No, by, uh, no, no. Oh, man, you need to. It's a seminal work. I read very few books. The few, the few books I do read tend to be about mathematics. I, yeah, I don't read a lot have, of Have you read Cryptonomicon then? Uh, doesn't ring a bell, no. Same author, but this one is, is basically about mathematics and cryptography. Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Ah, yeah. See, I, I read uh, stuff on mathematics, non-fiction. Yeah, but this, this uses mathematics in the actual text and uh, narrative um, and, and really draws you in to, to the mathematics through the story. Well, you know, the most recent book I read, or at least part thereof, is a book called Software Estimation. It was published by Microsoft, uh, I think originally published in 90, uh, t- sorry, 2006. It's written I think by, I've read that one. Yeah, it's written by... It put me to sleep. <laughs> put you to sleep. It's, it's written by a guy by the name of Steve McConnell. And what I found out in this book, it was actually lent to me by my boss just recently, and I took it home and I, I read, there are three parts to it. I read the whole of part one, page yeah. by page. And there's a quiz there. You know, it's a bit, so let, just to, to set the scene, it's about software estimation. And so part of what the author does in part one, I think it's chapter two actually, to be precise, is that he tries to demonstrate how bad we are at estimating within certain error bounds. So for example, when you say I'm 90% certain that this particular value, whatever it is you're talking about, lies between this figure and that figure, yeah. it actually often isn't 90%. Often it's about 20% certain. So how good are we at being X percent certain about a value? And so what he does is he's got this quiz. He's got a 10-question a quiz and he says... Actually, I'll tell you what, I've got the book right here in front of me now, actually. Let me even find that very page. So chapter two, he's got 10 questions, and he, what he asks you to do is to estimate the answer with you know, a low and a high bound mm-hmm. to a degree of confidence, a 90% degree of confidence. In other words, on average, you should expect to get 9 out of 10 of these right. And the questions yeah. are, in fact, I'll read them out. There's only 10 of them. Uh-huh. What is the surface temperature of the sun? What is the latitude of Shanghai? The area of the Asian continent. The year of Alexander the Great's birth. The total value of US currency in circulation in 2004. The total volume of the Great Lakes. 
worldwide box office receipts for the movie Titanic. Uh, Number eight is the total length of the coastline of the Pacific Ocean. Number nine is the number of book titles published in the US since 1776. And the last question there is the heaviest blue whale ever recorded. Now you're supposed to come up with a high and a low bound for this to a 90% confidence level. So in other words, don't make your bounds too narrow because the answers will probably lie outside of those more than 10% of the time. Yeah. But obviously don't go so wide that it's just ridiculous, like from zero to infinity, because, you know, that's just silly. So try and yeah. aim for 90%. And what he's trying to show you there is most people don't get that. And he did this exercise with a whole bunch of people, and he shows a graph of how that pans out. The most common is only 20% right, two out of 10 right. Yeah. So in other words, that's a 20% confidence level. But people think they're estimating at 90%, but they're not. They're estimating at 20%. Which is, I mean, that makes sense for topics where you have absolutely no idea. But software is a little different. Estimating no, software well, because hang, hang you, a, you know the specs. Well, hang on a sec. Some of these, you, you, I mean, you say you have absolutely no idea. Well, you have some idea of something. I mean, for example, Alexander the Great. Obviously, it was, you could probably guess well, it was a long time ago, so it wasn't the last few hundred years. You might even say, well, it's probably more than a thousand years old. And how far back do you go? Well, it's unlikely to be more than 6,000 years old because there's very few records uh, of civilization uh, beyond that. They're very sketchy. So, you know, you might say, well, let's say between 4,000 BC and, or say 3,000 BC and 1,000 BC. Uh, sorry, 1,000 AD. So I still think that you've got something to go on, even if it's not very much. But anyway, the the reason I'm bringing this up is in this book, he talks about the total volume of the Great Lakes. Yeah. So I went ahead and did some some estimations as, you know, I did the quiz and I got, I think, I think I got seven, six or seven, seven, I think it was, seven out of 10. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, just looking at his histogram here, probably the top 5% of estimators. There you go. That makes me feel good. Uh, Anyway, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway, the volume of the Great Lakes, he gives six different figures for in different units. Five and a half thousand cubic miles, 23,000 cubic kilometers. Those two are correct and consistent with each other. The next four, I won't bother reading out, but the next four are consistent with with each other, but are completely wrong. In fact, well, I'll read you one of them. 6.8 times 10 to the power of 23 litres. Now, if you know anything, if you've done a physics degree, yeah, this is where most of our listeners turn off. If, if you know anything about the mass of the Earth, you'll know it's roughly, that figure there is about a tenth the volume of the Earth, the mass of the Earth. So yeah. the Great Lakes cannot, he's, he's made a, a huge cannot error. Cannot possibly be, be a tenth yeah. of the whole Earth. No. The Great Lakes are huge, but... You know, I mean, when you look at them on the surface of the Earth, they're probably one millionth or whatever it is of the mass of the Earth, yeah. if not less. They do so, contain quite a lot of the fresh water of the Earth. In any event, uh, I don't know how I got into this topic. I think we're talking about what books we read. And anyway, that was the last book I read. It involved math- mathematics, and it was incl- completely wrong. I emailed the author just uh, uh, over the weekend, in fact, to let him know. And I said, I'm not sure if this has been updated in a more recent version, but... I certainly don't have enough money to buy another copy of the book. So I'm hoping you'll send me a copy. Maybe. If he <laughs> listens to this podcast. If he listens to this podcast, yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll see what his response is via email when I, when I get it. I certainly haven't had anything uh, in the last little while anyway. 
Well, anyway, that's a, a huge tangent from what we were talking about. So, yes, back to the story. Indeed, the flame malware has now been shown to be linked to the Stuxnet and believed to be US and Israeli governments behind it. Interesting, very interesting times we live in. Indeed. All right, the BBC is apparently developing the 3D radio. It is no joke. There are some psychoacoustic effects that can be generated to make you think that what you're hearing is coming from above you or below you or in front of you or behind you. And indeed, of course, to the left and to the right. Sounds like a very cool technology, but I just question the use of the 3D term. No, it's I think valid. It, I, valid, I, I, I think it? it'll get lumped in with with the the, the consumer grade. 3D television technologies and get dismissed by the general public. What do you mean dismissed? Well, why would uh, people haven't dismissed 3D TVs or have they? Oh, totally. But it's only a gimmicky thing anyway, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So they just will be lumping this in with that gimmicky thing uh, as opposed to realising that this is, in fact, actually a pretty cool technology that can turn ordinary stereo speakers, like just front two speakers, into something that can throw out surround sound. Or at least trick your mind into... Exactly. Exactly. Well, the thing, yeah, I I guess I would argue it's got perhaps more use, as you, as I think you're alluding to, more use than 3D television has, especially with the fact that with TV you need to have these silly glasses. Yeah. Uh, Although there are there are technologies on existing technology. Yeah, that's right. There are technologies now being developed for glasses-free 3D TV, but that's not we're not quite there yet. So yeah, you're right. And, And the thing is, you know, when you go to a concert, sound is coming to you. From different directions, especially if you're close to the uh, to the orchestra or to the source of the sound, right? So you've got stuff that's to the left or the right, stuff that's perhaps further up or further down. And in fact, you know, your real life experiences as you walk around this wonderful planet of ours, that's if you're not stuck in your bedroom Facebooking all day, then, you know, you do. You get sounds from all around you. And this is Absolutely. a way of recreating that. In other words, making it truer to life. Yeah, on existing hardware, yeah, which is just cool. Yes, no 3D speakers required. No new amplifier required, nothing. But, you know, they're missing an opportunity here. They could partner with Sony and Toshiba and whatnot and trick people into thinking they need new gear. They could have cut themselves a deal there. Or would it just not work because people wouldn't buy into it? I, I, I think yes. <laughs> I, I think yes too alright let's leave that and have a look, quick look at uh, what's been announced at WWDC by Apple well I think the Yawn. biggest uh, oh come on now the biggest look here's this is big this one well it's the biggest announcement of, of, at WWDC and that is dropping Google Maps Apple are doing their own mapping technology it is a big move by them <laughs> I think they've been wanting to do this for a while. They've obviously, you know, been competing head on with Google ever since Google started its phone thing. And of course, mm-hmm. who was on the, I can't remember the name now, which Eric one it was. Schmidt. Was it Eric Schmidt was it, who was on the board yeah. of yeah. Apple all those years ago, probably when they were discussing the, the phone and the capabilities of the phone and what it could, what it would eventually be able to do. 
And whether or not he got ideas from that or whether he already had the ideas but at least confirmed that there was some competition in the making, either way, it's not a good idea to have him on the board. He was kicked out of the kicked off the board uh, many years back. And ever since, of course, they've been head-to-head. And this is just one more way that Apple are severing ties with Google. Mm-hmm. And Google sort of scooped them last week with, with their announcement of their new 3D maps. So they, Google saw the writing on the wall and realized that they needed to uh, make it a, a, a cool announcement about their maps before they were just made obsolete. See, I don't really see. Well, the thing is, Google Maps will never be. I mean, you know, you've got Android for a start, the Android platform, and that's always going to have Google Maps. I mean, that, that's. Oh, a, absolutely. And we've got desktops, which, you know, I mean, there's a there's a, a free web interface to Google Maps, maps.google.com. That's all, never going to go away. Surely. I, agreed. I, I was more sort of uh, being a bit a bit more narrow and, and talking about being obsolete on iOS. Oh, I see. On iOS. Yeah, true. Absolutely, absolutely right there. And like, you know, you still could navigate to maps.google.com in the Safari browser, but why would you when you've got an integrated, well, an integrated map solution from, from Apple? And I dare say that Google Maps will still be available for download. It just won't be pre-installed. Oh, do you think there'll be a a Maps app still available? In the App Store, all right. Absolutely. Now, the other thing they announced, of course, was a Passbook, uh, something that's really quite late to the iOS platform. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, but, for those of you who don't uh, know, it's a it's an app that lets you bundle together some electronic boarding passes. Yeah, boarding passes, coupons, rewards programs, that sort of stuff. And I, I think, other than what we'll discuss next, which is the uh, the new MacBook Pro, I think this is probably the the, the most interesting thing Apple did. This time around. What, the passbook? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that, I wasn't that interested over that. Do you think this is... It's I think like, this will get a lot of consumer traction. For me, it's more a case of, yeah, finally, Apple. What other platform actually has this feature? Am I not correct in saying that uh, Android device already has that? I uh, don't think so. They have Wallet, but that's like a payment system. It's a completely different concept, I think. Is it just Android Wallet, is it? I believe so. Oh, okay. I thought, sorry, I I thought this... I'm under the impression, at least, that this is Apple being first for once rather than refining someone else's idea and doing it better. I think this is them actually, like, being first. I'm sure there's been, uh, you know, you've been able to check in using your phone for a while. Oh, to, yeah, to, yeah, 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 but that's like in, individual different apps. You would have to have your flight app does your flight check-ins, your your ANZ reward program app does the your ANZ rewards, your flybys program app does your flybys. Passbook bundles it all together. Okay, so this really looks like, uh, I think there's another one I just saw uh, available for Android and iPhone called Rap. W-R-A-P-P. Should take a look at that. Okay. It seems to, to do the same sort of thing, oh, Bundle, cool. bundling right. them together. Uh, I haven't looked into detail, though, but on the face of it, that's what it looks like. I take it back. They're not first. <laughs> in any event, before we go into the MacBooks, I did want to talk about the integrated Siri button on new cars. So they're, they're now doing a, what do they call it, a eyes-free, I think it is, an eyes-free uh, so, solution where 
there's a button on the steering wheel column or somewhere yeah. Yeah. that you push and you get Siri. And interestingly, it's every pretty much every car manufacturer in the US other than Ford. Because, of course, Ford do their own solution. Oh, do they? Uh, yeah, called uh, My Ford Touch and Ford Sync, which uses uh, Microsoft technology. I was just going to say, who are they in bid with? Uh, that's, now, that's interesting. Yeah, because there are quite a few. Uh, I see BMW is one of the, the ones there as well that the that's supported by uh, the this, this Siri thing. Now, the new MacBooks you mentioned as well, I kind of – was going to gloss over those because I, I sort of oh, looked the, at those I and went, the, ah, the, the Retina display one oh, is yes. the only one worth mentioning. Yes, agree. Re- retina display. Yeah, fair enough. Let's. Well, you've mentioned it now. The new MacBooks or MacBook Pros, I should say, will have a Retina display, and I think this is well. There's a but first. Only for the you. top of the line model. Yeah, top of the only line. Only the top of the line model. That's a first. That's the uh, the lar- I think so far the largest Retina display, or at least the largest display of that resolution in existence. Yeah, and, and, and I actually think it is it has the highest resolution of any device that's currently on the market. Yeah, in fact I looked at the tech specs and I don't remember the, the values now, but man, they <laughs> that's a lot of pixels in there. It is, it is, yeah. A lot of pixels. For sure. The other thing that's been happening this week is Microsoft and Google disagreeing over how this do not track setting is uh, supposed to work. So this is, of course, the setting in a in a browser that tells the web server, the remote end, that you don't want to be tracked when, you know, things like serving ads and so on. You don't want to be tracked as you browse to different sites. Mm-hmm. Now, it is optional. The, the web server doesn't have to honor that setting, but there's the expectation that they will. Now, Microsoft made a uh, sort of made a statement that their stance was that that setting should be on by default, and there were rumours that IE ten was going to come out with this setting as a default. Everyone else, including W three C, was saying no, it shouldn't be on by default. It should be an opt in system. So, in other words, for once, Microsoft and this surprised me. Microsoft were actually supporting privacy rights, but they were also actively um, targeting Google's ad network. Do you think that was why they went against it? Uh, I I think that's part of it. Definitely part of the decision making. I found it interesting that Microsoft backed down after six days. Yeah, they did, didn't they? You just let me know that earlier today. That's um, right. and, and, And the premise is that because this is basically a gentleman's agreement, there's no legislation sitting behind this. So it's just a whole bunch of industry bodies from both the advertising side and the tech side agreeing on a standard and saying Scouts Honor will do the right thing. All of the advertising people have said, if do not track is on by default in a browser, we will ignore that browser's settings altogether. No, but how they won't know. Oh, yeah, they will because they'll yeah, know what browser you're using. Exactly. Yeah, free. So without the advertising industry playing ball on this, do not track is dead in the water. But the thing is, I don't, under- I don't understand the big deal anyway because do not track is not something that web server has to honour. It can just go, like you just said, I mean, they could, they could just ignore it completely regardless. Yeah, I, so I, I think I think the industry realizes that 
they're better off self-governing this rather than getting to the point where Congress in the US does some ham-fisted legislation that basically ruins it for everybody. So both sides of the party of this sort of scenario both realise that it's in their best interest to get this up and running so that Congress doesn't pass any laws regulating it. So, L, for you, what are you going to do? Turn, Leave the setting on or turn it off? Well, sorry, turn it on or leave it off? I haven't decided yet. There might be times where I do both. Really? Yeah. Why would Switch anyone want to leave it on? Why, do you, why would you want to be tracked, so to speak? Why do you want to... Well, it, Share for what, me, it would, it would be are. a different, almost an experiment to see how much better the ads actually are. So live with it on for a while and then switch off and then from that point on see how different, if they're different, the ads are. Whether that, that extra information that's being gathered about me does actually equate to better ads, to a better experience, to, to, to more relevant ads to me that I'll actually care about seeing. Do you have an ad blocker or do you use an ad blocker? No. Other than my brain, I'm just not seeing ads anymore. <laughs> yeah. I've got ad yeah, blindness. Yeah, ad blindness. Yeah, you do after a while, uh, especially when it's the, the sort of the same place and the same, you know, if you visit a site regularly, you, you, you kind of, your eye gets, you know, the thing is I actually use um, Reader in Safari. I click the Reader button and it just comes up in the, the same font as a print, sort of a, a print layout with no ads, just the yeah. core story with no, just no navigation. It all out. It yeah. does. It's wonderful. You still see it initially because the page loads. So arguably there's still a moment there while the ad is displayed, but then I hit the reader button and I get the uh, what you'd get if you copy-pasted just the story into a Word document, made it the same font size and hit print. Yeah. All right, so anyway, that's the do not track uh, wars at the moment. As you said, Microsoft's now back down, so it's all back to the same. Everyone's in agreement that it should be off by default and user opt-in. Even if one of the companies is in the corner sulking. <laughs> yes. Come on, Microsoft. Get over it. All right. Linus Torvalds has been named joint winner of the 2012 Millennium Technology Prize. Woo! Absolutely. Another golf clap. Yay! Very good. Very good. So it's actually the first time, though, isn't it, that this biennial award has been split? I don't know. Is it? It is indeed. He shares, by the way, he shares this honour with Dr. Shinya Yamanaka, who is a stem cell scientist. And oh. it's a, uh, it's actually, the award itself is given by Technology Academy Finland, which is quite fitting cool. for, for Linus. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He lives in the US, but of course he has Finnish roots. This is good. Mm. He's done a lot for, uh, for the world of technology. He certainly has. He certainly has. Linus or Linus is a dude. He is, very much so. And on that note, I think I'm going to wrap up the show. Sounds like a plan. All right, that was episode 171. I had a lot of fun, did you? Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, let's uh, do it all again next week. Until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye.